hear the word of the Lord. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, He was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he was making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ given to the people of Christ. And our response is, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, as I said, last Sunday was Christ the King Sunday. We celebrate the reigning and coming King. And then we begin our new year again in our church calendar with Advent. A season of longing. It's as if those who began to look at the rhythms of the calendar and the rhythms of life said, yes, we long for the reigning King and then we celebrate that on the final day, the final Sunday, but we need to return because there is an even deeper longing that we are longing for this King to come and reign and rule and save and help in our very lives. And so it's good that on this day we can begin to ask questions about longing. And some that I felt came to the surface as I was studying this passage of Scripture 
were really something along these lines. Is this you? Have, are you right now, as we approach the Christmas season, are you longing for things to work like they should? Maybe it's in your work. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's something that you struggle with. Are you longing for things to work like they should? It just seems like no matter how hard you try, things just never seem to work out the way that they should. Maybe you feel forgotten. Like like maybe God has just kind of abandoned you out there. You've been forgotten. You're not quite sure what's happening. You don't know if anyone sees or hears what you are. Are going through. If that's you, then I want you to know that this is your season. It's okay to bring those longings. It's okay to bring those frustrations, those disappointments, those things that you haven't quite seen completed. This is the season for you. And we see this. I, I don't know. I was reminded last night we began our our yearly watch through a lot of the Christmas specials. How many of you have watched White Christmas already? Anybody? Okay. Already? How many of you have watched it ever? Okay, good. So you know who this is, right? General Waverly. As we were watching it last night, I thought, that's the longing, right? He had, he had given his life in service. We see right at the beginning, he had given his life in service to the army during World War II, but he had kind of aged out. And right at the beginning, he was being sent home because he was just not going to be useful anymore, I guess, or he was just too old for the army's purposes. And you could see the deep grief that he had as he had given his life to these men and to the service, and now he was having to go home while they stayed and fought on in the war. Later on in the story, you find him, and he sunk all his savings into into uh, buying this old barn and gristmill and turning it into a hotel and ski lodge. And he thinks, oh, I can just give all there is, and, and then the ski season will come in Vermont, and and everything will work out. And here they are, well into the season, and there's no snow. There hasn't been any snow since Thanksgiving. We were all we would all cheer, but. Uh, He was longing for that to happen and just wondered, has he been forgotten? Why won't things work out? That's all the spoilers I'll give you. If you've never watched it, you should watch the movie. It's fun. But like General Waverly, we meet the characters, we're introduced to the characters of Zechariah and Elizabeth. I want to tell you a little bit about them because I, I feel like it helps. The Bible tells us that they're both from priestly families. They're both from Aaron. And if you want to look back into the Old Testament, into the Hebrew Scriptures, you'll see that Aaron had four sons, two of which survived, and they began the priestly nations. And the priests were to, the priestly tribe was to be different. It was to be set apart. They weren't given specific land. They were supposed to be supported by those around the community, and they were supposed to be representatives between the people and God, and between God and the people. So they did not hold land or work land. Their sole purpose was to be about God's business, about representing God to the people of Israel and representing the people of Israel to God. And so they were both from this priestly family. I hope it, there were, you know, maybe they were second or third cousins twice removed on their mother's side. I don't know. But, uh, but Zechariah, his name means Yahweh remembers. 
And Elizabeth, her name means, my God is abundant. So already, if you were familiar with that or knew that, you knew that something is strange here when you read the story. You're expecting that these two would just live up to their name. I mean, they're both from priestly families and this is going to be great. And yeah, Yahweh is going to remember Zechariah all the time. And Elizabeth is just going to live in abundance. And yet we find that uh, they were very righteous people. I mean, they lived up to that. They, the Bible tells us, I want to read that verse to you just so you see this, that both of them were righteous in the sight of God. And that means they were in right relation to God. And they followed and observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And those commands and decrees showed that they were in right relationship with others. And they followed them blamelessly. That word there from a few weeks ago, hamemtas, means without fault. They were diligent people. And yet, things had not gone according to plan. We see in verse 7 that they were childless. Because Elizabeth, my God is abundance, was not able to conceive. And they were both very old, the Bible tells us. So somewhere along the line, I guess they, they figured it out that though they were righteous, things had not gone, a plan, gone according to plan, and so they just kind of got on with life. And they got well, well, well into life. They were very old. But let's look at what priestly life would be all about. I think it helps us to kind of understand this and it will make sense of the story if we go a little bit. So I already told you that priests, the priestly tribe did not hold land. They were all to be about God's business all the time. So if you were a priest, if you were not a part of the high priest family, the priest of priests, then you didn't live in Jerusalem. You lived in one of the villages around. And while you were not on duty, you would be out teaching the law, working with little boys and, and uh, helping them to understand and giving them basic instruction on what, the, what uh, we followed in our faith and in our relig- the Jewish religion. And so they would be out there doing that every time. And then it would be your turn to serve. If you were to look at First Chronicles 24, 7-18, the priestly tribe began to become very big. And so David divided all of those things into 24 divisions. And we found out that Zechariah is a part of the division of Abijah. That's the 8th division. So once every 24 weeks, Zechariah would have to go in. So sometimes it would be a couple of times a year. Sometimes it would be three times a year. But all the priests would come into Jerusalem and work night and day when there were the big major festivals. Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement. All those things. They would be there offering their sacrifices. So three to four times a year they would have to go in. The other time they would be out teaching in the villages wherever they lived. But the high point on those weeks, if it wasn't a major, major Sunday, or a major, I'm sorry, major Sabbath, they would, the high point would be the altar of incense. 
Now this was important. This was something that took place. And we saw in our passage that he was to go into the temple. A lot of the priestly work was done outside, around the temple, seeing people, praying for sick, offering the sacrifices, all of those kinds of things. But there would be this one moment where they would draw straws or they would draw lots as to who got to go into the temple. And because many scholars that I read this week said there were about 24,000 priests at this time, the drawing of lots meant that for some, some of these priests, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that their lot would be drawn to go in. And you would go in and there would be four. This is not going into the Holy of Holies that happens one time of year. Some of you know about this and they were always afraid that that person wouldn't be pure and they would go into the presence of God and drop dead so they tied a rope around his ankle so if he dropped they could pull him out <laughs> instead of going in. This is not that. This is, this is the altar of incense. It's right outside the curtain of the Holy of Holies. And there would be four Men who were chosen to go in for this offering of incense. The first one, if you were that first lot that was drawn, your job was to go in and to clear off the ashes from the altar of incense and to carry it out. So you would go in, you would do your job, and you would go out. The next person would come in with the coals from the altar and the new hot coals would be placed on the altar. That was the second person. Then you would go out. The third person would come in with the incense, the things that would make up the incense, and they would they would grind it up and make sure it was ready, and they would leave it. And then the fourth person. So you you already see how this this works. This is you you your lot might be chosen, but you might not be that fourth person. You might be the first or the second or the third. That fourth person is the priest who comes in and takes the incense that's been prepared and puts it on the coals that have been prepared, and the smoke begins to rise. Now this would take place after the sacrifice. And the Bible tells us even in our story that they were all out, the worshipers were outside the temple and they were praying and worshiping. And Zechariah's once-in-a-lifetime chance has happened. And the person has gone in and cleared it away and the, the next person has put the coals on and the third person has come and, and ground up the incense and made ready for Zechariah to walk in. That incense as the smoke rises is offered after the sacrifice when the people have been purified so they were ready to, co- to communicate with God. And the, the smoke rising symbolized the prayers of the people. And here's the thing. The priest was able in this moment not just to hear the prayers going on outside and see the smoke, the symbolism of the prayers rising to God, but whoever was chosen for that one moment was able to offer their prayer, to add their prayer to the prayers of the people right in the midst, right outside the presence of God. This was truly a once in a lifetime. Then they would go out and bless the people. It's really the high point of the service. This is where we jump into the story. And this is where Zechariah's chance has happened. His once in a lifetime chance. He drew the lot to give the offering, not to just clear it away, not just to add new hot coals, not to grind the incense, but to actually place the incense before the Lord to see the smoke, the symbol of the people's prayers rise to God and to join His one prayer to their prayers in the presence 
of God. He could finally add his prayer. So what is his prayer? Well, we don't actually get to hear the words. But we can assume because what? The angel shows up. Can you imagine being all alone in this big building with all the symbols of of the Garden of Eden all around this beautiful place? Quiet. You can hear the murmuring of prayers outside. And the smoke is going. And the smoke goes everywhere. Just a little bit of incense creates a lot of smoke. And all of a sudden, as you're praying your prayer, there stands somebody in the midst of the smoke with you. I think we would have the same reaction as Zechariah. Whoa! And he was afraid. But the angel says, The Lord has heard your prayer, Zechariah. And you will have a son. And you're to name him John. So we don't actually hear his prayer, but we can assume because of what Gabriel said that his prayer probably went something like, Oh God, give me a son. His once in a lifetime chance, he asks for God to fulfill the longing of his family. The thing that never seemed to work out. The thing that just seemed to be hanging out there. The the thing that caused those doubts of has God forgotten me to come out and to come up. And as he takes his once in a lifetime opportunity, he asks God to fulfill the longing. The angel says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John, which means Yahweh is what? Read it. Gracious. Can you imagine what was going on in his heart as he heard this angel speak this? But what does he do? The Gabriel goes on and describes the son. He goes on and says, let me tell you, his name is not only going to be God is gracious, but he went, I want to tell you about your son. He uses a lot of biblical metaphors. We should already be on board understanding this is strange. This seems like the continuation of the Abraham and Sarah story where they were advanced in years and yet were promised a son. But there's Samson who was never to have strong drink pass his lips. There's Elijah and Jeremiah who were filled with the Spirit before they were born. There's all this language about the the herald, the one who's to go before the Messiah comes and to announce it and bring people to return to the Lord. I think if any of us got this description from an angel about a child we would have, we'd be like, yes, awesome. But what does Zechariah do? How can I be sure that what you're saying is true? Brothers and sisters, the desire to be certain can lead to all kinds of wackiness. There is an angel of the Lord standing before you announcing this, and you're saying, how can I be sure? Now, we shouldn't judge, because we do the same thing, don't we? We do the exact same thing. Oh, maybe it's not an angel standing before us. But I'll give you an example. We have seen, and and you have prayed with us all through the time when Lori didn't have work, and we wondered, and we saw God supply and supply and supply and supply and supply every need. This week, I had a little fender bender. After we're sure everybody's okay, what's my next thought? How are we going to afford this? 
We do it, don't we? God can be faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful and something trips us up. Oh, now what's going to happen? So we shouldn't be too quick to jump on Zechariah. Maybe we should try uncomfortably to slip into his shoes and say, where do I do this? (laughs) Where am I just like that? So the angel tells Zechariah, well, you're going to be silent. You won't be able to speak for nine months. Now it sounds like a real punishment, doesn't it? But I honestly wonder if they understood that maybe he needed nine months to reflect on the faithfulness of God. That, that he needed time for his doubts to be quieted and for him to take some intentional time to reflect on God's faithfulness. I imagine it would have been hilarious to see him come out like, why is he taking so long? And here's the height of the service and all he does is come out and go... That'll make no sense to people who are listening online. <laughs> but he, he needed that time to reflect. I know for me, when I go away on a retreat where I'm not required to speak or to talk to anyone and I can be alone, it's there that God brings up a lot of things for me. Some that are good, where we're going as a church and you know what series we should be doing. And some is... Do you remember when I was faithful there? Why are you looking for so much certainty here? Can you trust the faithful, the ways I was faithful in the past? I will be faithful like that in the present and in the future. And it's time to say, oh God, I'm sorry. I want to trust your faithfulness. And I find that happens a lot of times when I'm intentionally quiet before the Lord. So what does this mean for us? Well, let's go back to our questions. Do you feel forgotten? Do you come into this place today wondering where God is? Wondering where and when that longing will finally be fulfilled? Do you need to, like Zechariah, add your prayer to the prayer of the people today? The thing is, we don't have to wait for a sacrifice and ashes to be cleared and new coals to be put on and incense to be ground up and put on in just the right way so the smoke fills. Today, because Jesus gave His life, we can enter right in and add our prayer in the, in the midst of it. We don't have to wait for a lot to be drawn. We don't have to wait for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You can have that opportunity right here, right now. Do you feel forgotten? Do you need to add your prayer? Today? Do you need to reflect on God's faithfulness during this season? There are a few ways to do that. One way is through Scripture. You can take one of those Bibles or open your Bible, start a reading plan. Uh, if you look at like the YouVersion Bible app, you can look through, you can even choose by topic. You could look at faithfulness. Click. Boom. You might have a week long or two week or a month long. There are ways that you can do this to begin to reflect on God's faithfulness. Maybe you need to reflect on God's faithfulness just from your own experience. To look back and say, God was faithful there. And God was faithful here. And God was faithful here. 
I would encourage you, many of you are in life groups, and if you're not in a life group, you ought to be in a life group. We need each other. You just, you don't need just a sermon for 20 minutes on a Sunday. You need a group of people where you're praying together, encouraging one another, studying. Maybe you need to get together with somebody you know and say, where has God been faithful to you in this year? And you need to testify to one another, to talk about God's faithfulness. Because there's something about when we hear that God was faithful to Joyce, that I am encouraged and might understand that God could be faithful to me. Or when God is faithful to Steve or Scott, that God might be faithful in that same way to me. Do you need to spend some time reflecting on God's faithfulness? Lastly, Would you, during this season of longing, dare to believe? Dare to believe that the name of Zechariah is true. That God remembers. It's not, this is a problem with the English translation. It's not that God forgot and now he's like, oh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta help them. No. It's the kind of remembering that is ongoing. That when I go on a trip away from Lori and Jackson, I remember them. I carry them with me. One of the prophets would would speak for the word for God and say, "I, I have you graven in my palm. That's how I remember you. Would you dare to believe this Advent season that God has your name written in his palm? He remembers you like that, even in the midst of your longing and your wondering. God remembers. Would you dare to to believe about Elizabeth, that my God is abundant, that in the midst of your need, in the midst of, of the things that you need to survive, that there is a God who is abundant. To dare to rest on that, to dare to be generous because of that, to dare to rest. And say, if I have God, I have all that I need. And lastly, would you dare to believe the name John? That God is gracious. And if there's something that you have been longing for God to save you from in your life, if there's a habit or a pattern that just you can't seem to get through, would you dare to believe that our God is a God who is gracious? And he sees you, and he loves you, and he's longing for you to speak with him, to confess that. It just means, confession in Greek just means to say the same. To say, this is what I'm struggling with, oh God, I come to you with this. And to believe that John is, the name of John is true. That God is gracious. Well, I would love to complete this story for you. And if you're interested in hearing the completion of this story, just uh, read, keep reading on through. You'll read through the announcement of Jesus' birth, which is going to be in two weeks. We'll, we'll, uh, Pastor Kyle will be preaching to us on that, the announcement to Mary. And then after that, you can read what happens. But this is Advent, a season of longing. So we're not going to complete the story. We're going to stay resting with the questions. Do you feel forgotten? You can add your prayer today. Do you feel 
like you have longings for things to work. Our God is faithful. Our God remembers. Our God is abundant. And our God is gracious. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that as we come into this place, we would know that it is very appropriate to bring, like Zechariah long ago, our longings for things to work the way they should. Our longing to see your faithfulness once again. Our longing to know that you truly are the God who is with us, who is gracious. So today, on this first Sunday of Advent, I pray that my brothers and sisters would be able to bring their prayer and add it to those that are going on all around them. I pray that we would all have time in this this busy season to take some time to reflect on Your faithfulness through Scripture, which is a gift You have given us. Through our life experiences that You have taken us through time and time and time again. Father, we love You. We are grateful for Your faithfulness. Bless us now and help us as we go to go into the world daring to trust. Daring to trust that You are abundant. Daring to trust that You remember. Daring to trust that You are gracious. For we pray these in the name of our longing fulfilled. The name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We pray and ask all these things, and everyone said, Amen. Would you stand and receive the final blessing? And now, may you come with your longings, whatever they may be, May you experience some of the silence of the season. One of our great songs this season is what? Silent night. Holy night. May you experience the joy of reflecting on God's faithfulness through Scripture and through testimony. May you dare to believe that God has you written on His hand. Dare to believe that He is abundant. Dare to believe that He is gracious. I pray that as you do that, God would meet your longing that will only be found in His Son, the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. Go in His peace.